Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe. I'm here with my pod partner, Dr. Daryl Jones. How you doing, Charles? DJ, I'm doing great. Good to Good, see you. Good, man. Good to see you. Uh, we have a guest today that uh, we're excited about. Good friend of mine, Mr. Phil O'Feely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Welcome. Thanks for, th- thank on, you. Phil? Thanks for having me, y'all. I really appreciate it. I'm uh, a little nervous here because I've, I've listened to the other episodes, and y'all, I got some got some pretty interesting stories and some heavy hitters, so I'm hoping I can rise to the occasion. Well, which is why you're here. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly why you're here. Yeah. You know, uh, Phil and I met probably, what, year two ago? A couple yeah, years ago, yeah roughly. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've just had an opportunity to spend more time together, and I just think he's just a— Bright young brother who's doing good <laughs> things and uh, you know worthy of conversation. I've learned a lot from you probably just in just in some of the things, particularly around things like investing, some mm-hmm. of the things that you're doing right now. Um, so you know, I'd love for you to to give us a little bit about your story, like where you grew up and yeah. you, your parents, your, your yeah, siblings absolutely. if you have them, and all absolutely. That. Um, so yeah, born and raised in Houston, Texas. So gosh, yeah, that's Texas has always kind of been my my first home, but. Um, Graduated the, when I graduated high school, I actually played football at the Air Force Academy. So I went up to Colorado Springs. It was a great experience just in general. Um, from the military itself to just even just being at the academy as a student, as a cadet, um, learned a ton while I was there. You know, um, family wise, obviously two parents, they came here from Nigeria in 78. So being a first generation American, uh, Nigerian American for that, uh, that, that presented its own challenges, right? I'm the youngest of three. So mm-hmm. I had, I had examples in front of me, but at the same time too, uh, my, my brother's about nine years older than I am. My sister is five, four and a half, five years older. So there was like about a five year gap from the closest sibling that I didn't, you know, I had to figure some stuff out on my own. Right. And, uh, if you do have immigrant parents, you also know that that comes with its, with its own challenges too, mm-hmm. growing up in, in society today, right? And where, you know, you are, because we grew up, I want to say, gosh, this is when I was probably like late elementary school, early middle school. My parents moved us to the better part of the city, right? When it came down to better school districts, better opportunities and stuff. Because with, with, uh, with Nigerians in general, it's all about education. Absolutely. Right? Knowledge is power and, and no one can tell you what to do after that if you, you know, reach the pinnacle of, of your education journey. So, yeah, we um, it was different. It was definitely different. And but like a lot of those lessons actually helped me later in life, right? especially at the academy. Right. When when it was the the the, the discipline, the the time management, the accountability, all those things, I, I definitely think it helped me at the academy, but then also through life in general. Um, so yeah, no, being a, being a student athlete at the Air Force Academy, that was, that in itself was, was a challenge, right? From, from just the military requirements to just the athletic requirements and then academic too. So graduated there in 2012. Um, after, and then, yeah, and then from there was active duty for about six, six years. And okay. yeah, so I was, I was served, I commissioned as a second lieutenant as an officer in the Air Force and I was in, <laughs> I went into procurement, right? Which, uh, <laughs> You know, you're, you're soft. No. So yeah, going into your junior year, you have to like declare as far as like what's your, what's your job in the Air Force is going to be. And uh, I was a business major and I was like, all right, I'm, I know for a fact, I'm not going to be a pilot. Like that was just my mm-hmm. thing. I was like, I'm not going to do 20 years. Like, no, I'm going to get out and make some money. And, uh, and so everyone was like, all right, well, there's two business related jobs in the Air Force for the most part. One's acquisitions, which is kind of like a, like a program or a project manager that you would see at like a Boeing or Northrop Grumman, those areas and stuff, or, or now like SpaceX, they have like PMs there too. Um, and then you also have contracting, which is more procurement, which is more like, uh, negotiating deals and services on behalf mm-hmm. of the government. So so I remember there was some person who came to talk to us. Um, she was a grad and she, I forgot who she was. She may be working for Raytheon at the time, but she was like, yeah, I did five. It's called five and dive, right? You do your five year commitment after you graduate and then you dive, you get out of the air force. And she walked in, she was wearing red bottom. She was just so very well put together. And she was like, yeah, I did contract and I got out and now I'm, I'm living the dream. Right. So I was like, all right, bet. Like I'm going to, I'm contracting and I'm going to get out, make my six figures a year and then live the, live the life. Right. But, um, 
when I got in the Air Force, again, you 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 don't really realize that you are um, a, a small piece in a bigger puzzle, right? The academy does a great job preparing you to lead from day one. But when you actually get into the real Air Force, that's when it's like, okay, hold on. Let's sit down, young second lieutenant, and learn how the game's really played. Mm. So, um, yeah, through that, got to— Where were you stationed when you got out of the academy? Yeah, okay. so my first duty station was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I did not choose to go there. That was like, <laughs> it was devastating. I don't right? think anyone chooses to go to Albuquerque. <laughs> right. So hold on, hold on, hold on. I just hope no one's so, listening <laughs> from Albuquerque. But let right me now. tell you something, though. Albuquerque, New Mexico, like, again, when I was devastated when I found I was going there, right? Because you, you spend three and a half years at this place and like you look, you live, it's called Hunter's Night when you find out where you're going. It's like your February of your senior year. And I, I didn't put anything down. And my job could go anywhere in the Air Force. I'm talking like, you name, you throw a dart at a map, and there's probably an Air Force base there with a job for someone who's a contracting officer. So I, Anywhere in the world? Anywhere, anywhere in the, in the world. Wow. I'm telling you. like okay. my. So I had like six six places to fill in, right? Yep. My first one was like Germany. Next one was Japan, um, like like uh, Copenhagen. Like basically, you name it, I had it on there, <laughs> you ended right? Up in Albuquerque. And then that's crazy. <laughs> hundreds. I find out I'm going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> Needless to say, I was devastated, right? Uh, but when I got there, you know, I found some great friends who are still friends with of mine today, and I actually miss it to be honest with you. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was a great experience. Well, my hometown, uh, NC State Wolfpack, actually did win the 1983. NCAA championship in Albuquerque at the pit. So. The pit, man. That's he's a good time. See, a little credit. See, look at that. Hey, there's some good times in the pit. So you could basically drive from high school to Air Force. I'm talking about? Oh, you, you, uh, yeah, from to, to Albuquerque. Yeah, so you, yeah, you could make that drive. Oh, yeah, right? that's like yeah. six and a half hours. I, easy. I did it all the time when I was stationed there. Yeah. So let me ask you this question just to step back a little bit. When you were in high school, what was – most critical in your thinking was it i'm i'm really into um education i really want to play football or i know i want to be in the armed forces H how are you prioritizing those things that's actually a good question um i was actually committed to northwestern as a is that right as, yes yeah and ah, then okay. um and this was like 2007 2007 yeah two, the spring of 2007 and it was head coach it was randy walker at the time and he actually, so I went on my visit on like, yeah, Thursday. And then that following Tuesday, he, he died. He had a heart attack. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So then, um, needless to say, that kind of threw everything up in the air. Cause I think Pat, Pat Fizzio, the, the coach who's, who's yeah. coaching now, he's, he, he assumed the, he assumed the, the head coach position. And at that time, like I, I went on a visit to, I think SMU and then I went to the academy. And when I went to the academy, it was just, it just felt right, God. you know? Um, and in hindsight, I didn't even think about the military service commitment aspect Got of it. it. It was more or less, Hey, I get to play ball. Um, I get and the, they, you actually get paid as a cadet, like legally, uh, cause you can't have a job. <laughs> right. And I say legally, it's just for the emphasis. Cause like, Oh yeah. wait, you get, you get paid. Okay. You know, so you get a little check as a cadet, I get to play ball. And yeah, from the coaches, um, to the guys I met on my, on my recruiting trip to the guys who I met who were athletes there, it just, it just felt right. Got it. And I can also say now with more, even more hindsight, it was kind of like that, that environment I grew up in. It was very structured. It was very much like, Hey, you know, you were supposed to be where you're supposed to be on time with yep. the right stuff. And how'd, so your, it, how'd your parents feel about it? I mean, in terms of, uh, again, I would assume being really to your point, mm -hmm. Academically focused, yeah. you know, coming from Nigeria, yeah. having that be a part of the culture. Yeah. How did they look at you going to play football, but at the Air Force Academy? So one, they hated football in general. Like most Nigerians, that, that was part of the thought, right, the right, question, right? Because I, I, I was, I was thinking yes. that football may have not have been oh my gosh. a high priority for them. I don't think I, I didn't finish. Uh, I didn't finish um, a year in football, like in high school, until I think my junior year. And it was because, like, one, education is everything. So if I brought home, like, a B minus, God forbid a C, my parent, oh, they hit the roof, right? So, like, if my grades were to, quote, unquote, suffer, then, like, I wouldn't go to practice or I wouldn't go to that game. And and it just – so I, I didn't think I finished the season until my junior year. And it was because, like, my older brother – who and he advocated for me. He was like, "Look, like you guys are you guys are 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 being way too you know overprotective because it's always about oh you know you're getting hurt." But I'm the probably the biggest dude on the field right at that point. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, it's one of those things that they 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 weren't a fan of it. Obviously, they watched it on TV on the weekends and everything. But for the most part, they didn't really understand the possibilities right. when it came from getting a scholarship to go play at a D one school and what what that what the possibilities could be. I can relate to that. I mean, right. my, my parents could care less about basketball right. when I was growing up, and it was a big part of my life. Uh, and, and I really was excited to play at the next level, and they couldn't care less about that. Right? right. They were really focused on the academics and really focused on uh, making sure that I went to a quality college, first of all, right. and that that my academics, whatever field of study, that it was going to be a huge priority for me. You know, I was considering academic scholarships at the time versus mm-hmm. athletic. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it was really tough sometimes selling them on what the future could be relative to, you know, getting a scholarship, those kinds of things. But they just weren't focused on that e- at all either. So right. I totally get that. Right. And I want to say, just like, I, I, what, I was 17 at the time and I was the youngest of three. So I was pushing the envelope in every single way. Right. I was I was probably I gave my parents more gray hair probably in that last like senior year than they would would like to admit right now, but yeah, like so, I would say that you know when we went to the to the academy on a visit, like at first my parents were like no, the air force like wait war, like no, no, you're not doing that. Say the other, but then they actually went into the campus and talked to the coaches and they saw like, and, like how structured and Structure. rigid Absolutely. life was, and my dad was like, hey, hey, baby, 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 wait, let him go. Like <laughs> he needs this in his life, you know. So uh, yeah, it's a story that they still kind of laugh about today, but yeah, for the most part, they were, once they saw the opportunity with it, and again, I mean, it's the think I'm, I will probably talk out of my side of my neck right here, but there aren't that many schools where you graduate from a four-year institution and you actually have a job lined up for you, you know, mm-hmm, sure. when, and you get an education that's valued somewhere around half a million dollars and the, like you're taught to lead from day one. Right. So um, when they saw that they, they were sold. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what brought your parents to this country? Better opportunity, man. Like, like I, I, I say this all the time, my parents, especially my dad, um, you could write us a movie about their lives, you know, coming from literally nothing in Nigeria. Um, they, I think my dad was probably like, what, 19 or 20. And he had graduated college over there. Um, and he was like, look, like, he got a job at a bank. And he tells her all the time, basically, it's like, it's just through good fortune and just being a good person, like good karma, mm-hmm. he actually got a, a visa to come to, to the, to the, to the States. And he, he was it. He, he got his visa and went home to mom. I guess he could bring like one person, like one dependent. And he went home to mom. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to the states. You coming or not?" Basically, and, they were already married. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So at that point, um, that they, they came over here because it's just like you know I'm going to break the chain of poverty for my kids, and they're going to have a better life than I ever even imagined. So yeah, they got up and and came to. I think that they if they first. Dropped everything in in Columbia, South Carolina in 1978. I'm all like, I can only imagine like what that was like for y'all as immigrants mm-hmm. yeah. with heavy accents <laughs> right. in Columbia, South Carolina in 1978. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just the, the dream of providing something more for, for my siblings and I and, you know, their future grandkids and so on and so forth. That's a beautiful immigrant story. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we, I don't know how often we get the opportunity to really celebrate, you know, what, America can be mm-hmm. when the possibilities really sort of bear themselves out. Mm-hmm. People come to this country, particularly, you know, people of color who come to this country and really make life uh, something into more than what they had from where they came from, but also setting up the future generation, you and your siblings, mm-hmm. to be able to do so much more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. In my doctoral program, there were <clears throat> four individuals from Africa. And three were Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And um, it started with 25 of us. So the percentages already are pretty high, mm-hmm. literally. One was actually commuting every month. She didn't happen to finish the program. But it was clearly obvious to me the importance of education. And it was, we are going to finish this program at the highest level possible. And it blew my mind. It actually motivated me. Yeah. And there were also two African-Americans in the program. One of the things I found interesting was there's always this kind of floating conversation around African families who find their way to America and the cultural gap between African-American families, right? Definitely. And it was such, this three-year experience was awesome 
because we had those conversations. But what we found is when we were aligned on the same goal, all that stuff became secondary and tertiary and, mm-hmm. and didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, did you experience any of that? Oh, yeah. That cultural divide? Can Absolutely. you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It was everything from guys like because obviously we, we they, they put us in a, a better neighborhood, a.k.a. more of a, a white neighborhood. Right. And what was uh, that community called? What area in Houston? God, this was we were in Cyprus. Okay. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We were in Cyprus uh, in the Cyprus school district on the northwest side. OK. And uh, yeah, no, it'd be everything from like. You know, if you got uh, a, they always call it being responsible, right? Like be responsible. And I can still hear the voices today. And it was, it was always like this, this huge uh, struggle between, especially growing up in that neighborhood. And even at that time between, you know, the black kids, the white kids, and then you, you had just Nigerians. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was it. It was just like, okay, where do you go? But really like my parents always like, just be who you are. Just stay right here in that in your own lane. Don't try to be anybody else. But, you know, growing up and, and advice. yeah, exactly. Right. And I still I, I try to emulate emulate that today, too. But it's yeah, it could, it could be a struggle here and there. Um, but, you know, definitely there was always a I don't I don't want to call it like a like because you never it's not it's not a condescending view of anything. It was almost just like, hey, as Nigerian, you you have this almost like an unwritten standard that you almost Got have it. to abide by. Right. It's like, okay, hey, if you bring home like a 95 on a test, it's like, okay, where are the rest of those five points? Got it. You know, it's just like if, you know, if if, if Charles gets a 96 on that same test and I got 95, he goes, does he have an extra brain? Like, like <laughs> I'm serious. It's just like so Charles would say. Yes. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, and, and I really do think that it, it, uh, it, it compels you to do better. Yeah. Try to do the best you can in whatever you're doing. Like, God, I can hear their voice. And it's like, it's like, ah, uh-uh. why don't you try to go to law school, huh? Be a doctor, <laughs> an engineer, something. I'm like, well, I want to work in sports. <laughs> well, ah, these sports, what? Ah, ah. I'm telling you, man. Like, I can, I can hear it today. Like, but nah, but um, yeah. It's just, it's just you, you. Because again, it goes back to the education thing, right? If you, if you reach the pinnacle of of your field and whatever you're trying to do, and you have that PhD next to your name, like you do, no one can take that away from you. You know, my, both my parents have their PhDs, and and like they, they still to this day are trying to get me to go go and get one. But again, I haven't ruled it out. But I, out of like almost like a, a rebellious spirit, get, get a not. doctor. I have a doctorate. I, I didn't go for the PhD, mm. but. I say go for the doctorate Mm -hmm. unless you really want to teach. Yeah. Uh, You can do both with the doctorate. Uh Um, One of the uh, Nigerian gentlemen who his name was Funcho. He and I went the doctoral route. Two of the other ones went the PhD Mm -hmm. route. And there was even conversation around that. Right. That that difference. Right. But is there also significance to birth order that is – uh, I mean, I can't really discuss. I can't really speak. I mean, honestly, I would say I like when it comes down to as far as like like uh, roles and responsibilities yes, and expectations. A- absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say so. But as the youngest, I'd I'd never really had to learn those or yeah, even about them. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you know, uh, too, yeah. Yeah. I think he got gave up when it got, got basically. Oh yeah, than his brothers. And I mean, sisters. yeah, you can call yeah. my brother and sister right now. They'll tell you I, I I'm still living this dream to this day. You know, but uh, yeah, there's definitely some things there. And you're right, too, because, yeah, my parents, they're, they're both um, professors, so they're teaching right now. That's awesome. And so they get their education here as well? Did they do some of it in Nigeria and some here? Yeah, so they actually came here with, with degrees, like bachelor's degrees in Nigeria. And they get here, and it's like, okay, it's basically worthless. So then they actually put themselves through school again. Um, and well, at first off, it was um, like TSU, like Texas mm-hmm. State, because mm-hmm. uh, eventually they made their way to Houston from Columbia. So they went to like Texas State, Prairie View, Prairie View. Oh, yeah. and again, like again, you know, those degrees, depending upon where you're going, don't really mean anything again. So they went back to school again. So, yeah, they, they've been lifetime students, man, and that's what I do adore about them is that they're always trying to improve themselves. I mean, they're what in their mid sixties now, and they're still learning. So it's like, okay, why can't I do the same thing? That's beautiful, you know. So that's it's been beautiful. a trip, that's for sure. That's for sure. So now, when when you think about all of your experiences, you know, Air Force, et cetera. And um, you're in a situation where you look back. Is there anything you look back on that, man, that I'm glad I took this route versus mm-hmm. that route. That's become really critical to where you are now, whether it's 
man, I almost did this and I'm really glad I didn't. Yeah. Um, whether it was growing up, yeah. whether it was something that happened in the Air Force, a decision that you made. And part of the reason I ask is when I think about when I think about us growing up as black kids, there are these really critical moments that we don't appreciate mm-hmm. until we can really look back down the road. Mm-hmm. For me, it was I didn't go to a D2 school to play football. Mm-hmm. I could have done that. My whole identity was football. That would have changed my life significantly. Yeah. Was there anything you look back on that today or are we not far enough in, in your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, man. I think uh, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm extra, extra grateful. So in 2016, I actually deployed to Afghanistan. Okay. Um, Didn't yeah. Know that. So right. I deployed in Afghanistan. I deployed to Afghanistan. That, that in itself was a great eye-opening experience because um, had I not gone, I I don't know where my life would be today. That's interesting. Okay. You know, just from a standpoint, because like you know, because when you go, you, one, it's like it's probably one of the most anxiety-inducing experiences ever. And I, this is my personal imagine. opinion, right? Because obviously, the, I mean, the war's been going on for over twenty years now, but. Um, you know, you really don't know what you're walking into when it comes to, again, from the hostile environment to what your what your job's going to be day to day to even just what your routine or what your your routine's going to be. So, this in general, like, I just I, when I got there, it was just one of those things like you learn a lot about yourself, and I I feel like in those what almost seven months I was there, it was very much like a you know what. I, when I got back, I decided it was time to get out of the Air Force. And I was just like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, I feel like I learned enough about myself that it's time to kind of pivot and really almost chase what my what my passion is, which is working in sports. So that was kind of the catalyst that was like, you know what? Yeah, I've been here for seven months. I kind of, you know, some 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 new doors and windows were kind of open, and my kind of like you pull like the veil off off your eyes, and I was like, it's it's time to really yeah. do, do something for me versus you know just going through the motions. Did you know you were going to be there for seven months, or did, was it was it a time frame that was established before you went, or it was one of those things where you got there and you weren't sure how long you were going to be there? Yeah, so so you know you're going to be there for like six or seven months ish, at least for like my specific billet, right? Um, you could stay longer. I mean, things things always happen, right? But at the end of the day, it's always it always depends upon like when your your replacement is going to get like tapped to to start training and getting God. ready to go, right? Like I think I think my guy he actually I think he he got delayed a little bit because his training didn't like populate in the system fast enough. So like I got pushed back a couple of weeks, which again it, it happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it depend upon like normally you you know like what window you're going to be there for and how long and where you're going and everything. So it just depends. What was Afghanistan like in terms of just being in a different country, obviously different culture, um, and then like where were you stationed? What were the dynamics day to day like? Man, um, God, I would say that it it was okay. It reminded me a lot of Colorado from like a scenery standpoint because uh, like I didn't realize that either. But um, man, that's that's a good question. But it was. Well, again, you think about that. We've been at war for 20 years, a war, right? We, we've been in country for 20 years. And uh, so in a way, it is kind of more of like a, a well-oiled machine as far as like what the mission is day to day. So still still pretty structured. There was just like this, this like obviously like a hierarchy there. And, and our mission was clear, right? So I, I deployed to... Um, Camp, it was called Camp Moorhead. It was like this small base south of, of, of Kabul, Afghanistan. And... It was like maybe like maybe like three hundred people, like Americans, mm-hmm. right? At this at this one small base that was actually located on a bigger like Afghan base, and we were attached to. So the mission was like TAA, which is Train Advise Assist, because most of the time, like when it comes down to like actual like forward forward like operating missions and everything like that, like. At that time, which is 2016, like we were trying to pivot and say, "Hey, all right, all right, Afghans, we we've, we're now propping you guys up from an infrastructure standpoint. We've taught you how to do certain things. Now you guys lead, and we will like give you that support, you know, from like the ranks. That makes sense, right? So everything from fo- teaching them how to do things properly from a finance perspective down to an operations mm, perspective yeah. down to a maintenance and special forces, right? So the so what. So the, the, the unit I was attached to was like a mix between like normal, like army operations and army special forces. So the normal army, army operations side would like go with their Afghan counterpart and basically like teach them how we do things the right way. 
Um, and then you also had the Afghan special forces part, which was basically te- teaching their special forces guys how to do missions the right way, how to do intel the right way, basically how to run an effective operation. Um, so my job as the, as like one of the sole, actually the sole Air Force guy was to be the, the, the procurement guy, right? The money guy, right? So everything from uh, making sure that the Afghans have what they need from a, from a supply standpoint, to negotiating with Afghan locals and, and, and fortifying our base and our structure down to, we was one time I negotiated with a a local farmer, right. Who was out there because I guess some of the soldiers had like destroyed his land. So we were trying to figure out how much I would have to pay him back. This is, this is how he eats, right. This is, he he sells off his wheat and everything. And I think they killed one of his cows. It was, it was crazy. Right. So how did that happen? Uh, you tell me like people get drunk and they start shooting out. I, I, yeah, I could, I, I don't know. Drunk and bored in Kabul. Exactly. But, but I'm saying, but, he, he, but these were Afghans, right? Okay. These were Afghans okay, were doing stuff. So yeah, man, it was a trip because, um, I, I, again, I, and I loved it too. Cause I got to end up leading, like I was a, a one person shop and I was actually like calling my own shots and doing my own thing. And it, it was great. Cause again, I got, to, I've never done that before. And How I got, old are you at this point? Right now I'm 31. At that point, oh, that I'm point sorry. Well, I was what? I was 25, 26. It's a lot of responsibility, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you look at it that way at the time? No, I didn't. I mean, it was one of those things. It was a job, right? I had to. Like, okay, this, these are my orders. I'm here for six, seven months. All right, let's dig in. Let's do this. You know, like, because at the end of the day, like, the Army can't do what my job is, right? Like, I, I came in as a second lieutenant. They, they don't let people do my job in the Army until they're like, what, 10, 12 years in. Right. So just because this is all we do, this is our specialty. So, you know, when you get tapped to do this and like this sole position, they're like, okay, don't mess it up, Phil, but, you know, go do your thing. So, yeah, it's that great. Was, yeah. Good for you. It's a great experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I learned a lot on that job when it comes down to de escalating conflict, when it comes to improvising, when it comes to, you know, using your strategic thinking to find the right way and just minimize risk. Like, there's so many things. Like, it was a, it was a really eye opening experience. It was just, just to circle back. Like, had I not done that, I probably would would have still stayed in the Air Force. I probably would have, got it. you know, I probably would have would have just. I, I didn't feel like I was floundering around, but I definitely feel like I wasn't. I wasn't maximizing my potential. Yeah. If that makes sense, it does. Yeah, it's so, great experience. Yeah, yeah. So then football in in the Air Force will kind of shift to a little bit of fun. I feel like we've been <laughs> nailing you with tough questions, man. Um, so when I think about college football. I only think about Air Force on certain days when they're playing Army. <laughs> or Navy. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But Notre Dame, you, you play Notre Dame every right, year, right? Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm not a big, so like yeah. Navy does every year. Um, but we got the we we beat them pretty bad. Like my like back in 2008, and then they didn't play us again until I think my senior year. But again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So describe that experience as a football player. In the Air Force. So you're kind of yeah. working, getting an education, <laughs> yeah. and playing football. It's right? exhausting. I'll say that. It was exhausting. And, and one more element to that, too, you know, because Air Force is a is a legit football program, like mm-hmm. legit Division One A yeah. football program. Right. And Absolutely. So, but the, the difference, I think, is your path to professional football is quite different, right? Mm-hmm. So that opportunity, not that it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. but you've got a commitment beyond that. Right. That may be prohibitive in terms of, you know, by the time you're done with your commitment, mm-hmm. is there a real opportunity to go and play in the league? I know there's a shortened time frame yeah. now that, yeah. that's in in, in, yeah. in in existence. But can you talk about that as well? Like your mindset yeah. as a as an Air Force football player, are you thinking of I'm just playing the sport because I really love it and I want to get the most out of it from a college Planning experience, yeah. or you know, were you and your teammates thinking beyond that, saying that this is a this is a tool? Quite frankly, you know, no different than if I were playing at Michigan or Ohio State or Notre Dame. Yeah, that the NFL is an opportunity. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, first, yeah, the mindset, right? When you go to the academy, you know, like obviously, you're not going to the Ohio State, you're not going to Michigan, you're not going to Big Ten. You know, at the time, I mean, yeah, it's still not even Power Five, right? So, um, like, I was a good athlete. I was not a, I was not a great football player. Like there was definitely things in my, in my hindsight I would definitely do better differently, right? More, you know, watch more film, um, be more strategic with the way that you approach like, like game weeks and just like take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Definitely take care of my, my body differently, right? 
Um, if I only had a couple more plays today, man, I'll tell you what. Nah, but uh, <laughs> what position did you play? I was strong safety. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so you walk in the building already kind of with a chip on your shoulder as far as like, okay, Hey, not only do I, not only do I, did I probably get passed over for, for some other places and scholarships wise. Right. Um, cause I got, I got like gray shirt offers to come in and walk on certain places. And I was like, no, like I'm gonna go play ball where someone wants me to play. Absolutely. Right. So you got a chip on your shoulder there, but then <laughs> at the same time, you also, um, you also got to, again, like. It's not a normal school where like, oh, hey, you're a football player. Great. That's amazing. Oh, you're, you're the best. No, like the academy almost hates you for it. And I say this now because at the time, at the time, that's how it felt. Right. They almost hold it against you. Yeah. Because, you know, as a, especially as a freshman, you are getting out of certain freshman things. Right. Because your freshman year, I equate it to like hell week at a, a normal school for a fraternity. Right. Where you are basically someone tells you what to do and how you do it. And this, then they're screaming at you. Except the academy, it's the same thing, but there's no alcohol. And it lasts the whole year. Right. So I'm, I'm serious. Like when you, when you walk in, like your whole, for your whole freshman year, you can't wear your backpack. You have to hold it in your left hand. And anytime that you are like basically out on the main, like Terrazzo Plaza, like if you ever see a picture of the Academy, you'll see it. It's just like this big field between all the buildings and everything. You have to be running. Like you're supposed to be running everywhere you go as a freshman and only on certain like marble strips. So it's a big square. Like you can't, you can't, you have to make right angle turn. I can go on all, all day about this, but there are so many different like restrictions wow. that you have to do as a freshman and people hated you as a football player, as an athlete in general, because you got out of most of that. Cause you're always at practice. Got it. Can you right? imagine being a scholar for that time? I'm man. telling you, man. No. Seven weeks. I'm telling you, man. Like, <laughs> yes. Like I could tell you stories for days, man, but it's just stuff like that. Right. So, so again, um, chip on your shoulder, you, everyone basically hates you <laughs> who's an upperclassman. Uh, and then, yeah, then you have the rigors of the academic life, the military life, and, and just trying to figure out yourself as an 18, 19 year old kid. Right. So, um, but again, it, it, you, you wanted those people around you because you were all going through the same thing. It almost enhanced your brotherhood down there in the locker room, in the weight room. And just cause like, Hey, you know what? If, if, if Charles can do it, if DJ can do it, I'm gonna do it too. You know, cause I owe it to them. We're all going through the same thing together. So, uh, yeah, it's what it, it, it almost made us scrappier, right? We were never going to be the biggest team on the field against whoever, whoever we played, but we we're probably faster than you. You know, we probably, we, we, we were going to compete like good luck guarding the triple option. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my first two years there, uh, Coach uh, Tim DeRuiter, who's now he's now the D.C. at Oregon, um, is genius of a guy who basically made he made us competitive every single year. That was great. You know, and and so we had great coaches. We had great staff and we, we competed. You know, we were I think my guy, I want to say either my sophomore or junior was our first like 10 win season mm. in a minute, like at least 10 years, I think. Um, but. And then to, to come back to your point, Charles, it was so like I guess like when you get there, like you at the time, like you think, OK, there's no way I'm probably going to go to go to the league out of here just in general. But, you know, there were some guys I played with who who had like legitimate chances. And up until I think 2014, you had to serve two years after you graduated um, as, a, as a minimum commitment. And then you can go and, and potentially try to join a team. So so if someone wanted to draft you. Like and you so say if you're graduating in 2009, right? If someone wanted to draft you, say in the fifth or sixth round, they couldn't do it. Like there's no waiver, nothing at all. So, um, yeah, there are a couple of guys who I played with who are now in the league, and yeah, they had, but they had to wait two years, and it was just like, it, I mean, again, it's more, it's, it's kind of speaks more to that determination and to like just that 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 chip on your shoulder that you have as as a student athlete there, because like, okay, I guess there's one more hurdle I have to overcome, and I, or fine, I'm gonna do it. Oh, yeah. It also speaks to I mean how good they had to be mm-hmm. for an NFL team to say we'll we'll draft you and then wait exactly for two years because exactly two years at that age anything you know, can happen anything exactly can happen in two years but also from a skill perspective if you're not out there every day exactly working on your craft I mean I can imagine that you may not be able to walk in and compete at the same level with those guys who've been doing it for hundred percent that time frame there was one guy uh, he plays for the Niners right now Ben Garland. He's 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 now on the offensive line, mostly center and guard. But I mean, he 
he stuck around the academy for a year and was the the, the swimming strength coach, and he killed those kids. But again, it was just so that because he he was on the Broncos practice squad at the time, so he could do his Air Force job in the in the day, Got it. and Got then it. you know get the. I mean, we had probably the the, the strongest swimmers in all of the Mountain West at the time, and then he would drive up I twenty five and go to practice, right? Uh, and then Chad Hall. Chad Hall, he was a 08 grad, and he's now the uh, he's the receivers coach for the Bills now. And he actually, I heard stories where like because he was stationed in Salt Lake City, so he'd actually like come into work, drop his hat, so people would think he's there, and then he go work out. And he come. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. You got to make it work, right? So, so again, like there's this, like, it's a mentality, man. You, like if you say, hey, I'm gonna make this happen, you're gonna do it, right? Uh, but then up until I think it was 2014. Uh, or 16, the DOD changed the policy where, hey, if you do get drafted, you can't go directly. So now I think there's like, I want to say five to eight different service academy grads across all of them who are actually in the pros right now. So it's good. I mean, in my opinion, it never hurts to have, it's like, it's free recruiting, right? It's if you want to still get great athletes and great people who still be leaders of character and across the board, you know, why not? Why not let people go in and, you know, and champion your school, your academy and everything. So I'm happy that's there for sure. So at what point in your life did you realize you relished leadership? You know, I, th- yeah, I listen to you talk about the strong safety position, which is it's it's like the quarterback on the yep. defensive team. People talk about the middle linebacker position is very important. That strong safety position is critically important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At 25, going over leading men, you know, well beyond your age, decades mm-hmm. beyond your age, and this is how we're going to do things. And then some of the things you're doing now. At what point did you decide or realize I'm a leader? Mm. <clears throat> you, know, you know, I think it was – Man, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, there was always like a, and I don't want to sound arrogant or, arrogant or anything, but it was almost like anytime there was like a pivotal decision, mm. and if I was like in, like, say, a group project, right, for school or whatever, or or if um, even like when I was a second lieutenant and there was just like a, yeah, like a void amongst the military in my unit, it was always just like they kind of, what do you think, Phil? And I'm like, oh shit! I, I, I mean, yeah, okay, let's do this, right? And it was almost like it's a, I mean, it's trial and error, right? You kind of have to go through it yeah. like one day at a time. But um, there was a boss of mine when I was stationed in Albuquerque, and he was like, he was like retired uh, enlisted guy, but he was like, look, like I'm gonna take you into my wing, and I'm going to make sure that you know how to lead. And you're, you're like, you, you leave here better than 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 basically how you came in. And I appreciate that because, I mean, like, obviously, like, everyone's always like, hey, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader. But, like, he was the first guy who ever kind of pulled me aside and was like, look, like, you got a lot of potential. Like, here's your here's your laboratory. Go ahead and, and you know, make some mistakes and learn from them. So I think it was there's definitely there's been like little instances here and there, but mm-hmm. definitely like being being put forth to lead and to like be out in front and, and kind of make some pivotal pivotal decisions as like a time I was what 20 probably 22 years old yeah that was that was amazing that felt great because one someone someone believes in you one but then two at the same time like you also you also know how to almost command a room you know like I think it's kind of natural yep. and I kind of feel the same thing from, from from you two as well whereas like when you walk into a room and and people can kind of almost take notice and not from an arrogant standpoint but it's just like hey it's a presence it's yeah. a presence Right. And and knowing having the awareness of that and then also being confident in who you are and what your capabilities are and then being also being confident to know what you don't know and being humble enough to ask somebody. I think people respect that. And I think it's just like a nice cocktail to kind of go forward and be a leader that people need in certain instances and stuff. That's a great way to put it. It really is. Um, I want to shift real quick. Uh, one of the things that I. Uh, I've got an opportunity to go back and forth with you about lately is uh, <laughs> stock trading, <laughs> um, and, and and I, I, I again I've learned a lot. I mean, it sounds like you um, you've been doing this for for a while, and you study, you research. Not very well. It depends on the day. Depends on the day. Depends on the day. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your philosophy around that? And, and how did you get in? How did you get uh, really focused on that as an area where you uh, you know sort of spend your time? Some, yeah, trial and error is my is my philosophy behind that. But then also, again, it's like I, I don't put anything in that I'm not afraid to lose. Right? It's like gambling too. Right? And honestly, that's how it is for me. The stock market is basically like legalized gambling across the board, and and you just have to like you know manage your own risk. 
You know, um, I've always kind of been more of like a, a, an analytical person tries to dive into like that due diligence, right? Um, whether it's, you know, analyzing financial statements and just seeing, hey, this makes sense and this doesn't make sense. And this is probably a safe bet and this isn't. Um, that's that's kind of what the person who I've been. I've been very cautious about that stuff. So, you know, when it came down to, I think it, it was basically like COVID is, is kind of what made me look kind of, okay, you know what? Like, let me just look into the works kind of slow. So let me just like take a little cash on the side here and see what can happen. All right. So especially after everything kind of, we had the huge pullback in March of last year. Sure. So I said, okay, why not? Right. You know, you know, you, you have some wins here and there, especially coming after March. And then from there, it was like, you just again, you kind of make some strategic moves here. Okay. Hey, you, you hear some, some announcements coming a lot of Twitter, a lot of Reddit, a lot of uh, like, like Motley Fool, like we were talking yeah, about, sure. you know, you just take the available information from there mm-hmm. and, and you make the best strategic guess. You know, I, I call it strategic guess. <laughs> I don't know, but nah, man, it's, um, it's been fun. It really has, especially, um, these last couple of months where I do ha- have the financial attitude to kind of be a little more risky and, and go from there. It's been fun. It really is. Like if you can, and the thing is like, and DJ, we were, just, we were talking about this last week, but it's like, you know, if you can find a way to harness what the market is and just like ride that as supplemental income, it's, it's an amazing thing mm-hmm. that's just out there for everybody to have. But, you know, unless you, unless you have those people in your circle who can kind of show you the ropes and what to do, you don't really know where to start. And, and so true. Exactly. Right. So it's one of those things where I, I you know, you kind of we all have supercomputers in the palm of our hands. So I was like, you know what? This is another challenge. Why not just get better at it? Because someone else does it every single day. So why can't I? It's, it's also what your father told you or asked you. Does this person have more brain than you? Do? Exactly. And the answer is no. Exactly. And when you realize the answer is no, you start to think I can do a lot of this on my own. Mm hmm. And I think that's the part that has probably hit you too. Um, yeah, man, it peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. With, with uh, I know Charles and I have <laughs> talked about it, right? Yeah, I don't mess with it too much, you know. But it's tempting every day. Yeah, you I, know? I jumped in with both feet a few days ago. <laughs> you told me you did. I'm gonna keep my eye crazy. on that one too. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I go. And again, <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah, yeah. yeah but you know it was interesting we had uh an investment manager here uh recently that mm-hmm. we talked to about his philosophy and one day i was thinking about you doing this conversation because what you're finding is that particular profession now has to compete with you know those websites mm-hmm. that are out there sharing information mm-hmm. for individuals who are saying i don't i don't need a money manager I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do my own trading uh, and do my own investigation analysis and, and get my own data and decide for myself mm-hmm. how I want to invest my funds. Uh, do you find that as one of the things that, you know, from your standpoint is more empowering for you to do it on your own as opposed to trusting someone else? I, I, I also wonder if it's, I hate to say it this way, but I wonder if it's generational too, because mm-hmm. I think little older generations are more, you know, focused on, let me get an IRA or mm-hmm. a mutual fund mm-hmm. or, you know, I've got this 401k and we have someone else right. who manages that part of our, uh, I guess you could say financial future. Whereas mm-hmm. I kind of I see, it seems like to me that, you know, the, the younger generation is more focused on, hey, I can do this on my own. I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I definitely think it's a, it's a mix of both. Cause I mean, I still have an IRA. I still have a Roth. I still have a, I still, I still know that I have to trust the bigger institutions for just like, best me personally, right? That's how I, sure. it's my, you know, triangle of safety and security when it comes down to it, right? But, but yeah, I mean, I do see like, I'm a millennial, right? So I do see, you know, my generation as being the, the on-demand generation, right? When it comes down to, you can, you can hit two buttons on your phone and have a stranger pick you up in your car in five minutes. You can have an Amazon package delivered to you in the same 24 hours, right? So when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, why can't I, you know, access, you know, financial resources and institutions on my phone like right now? Why do I have to go through some, go through someone? Um, so I definitely think like there is like a generational gap there when it comes down to just the availability and the access to it. But again, it's like, I mean, you, you, 
you can ask anybody who who probably try to try to jump into uh, any of the cannabis stocks this week, right? If mm-hmm. you know if you don't know what you're doing, you hop into something on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you oh my god, this is great, and then come Thursday, if you're still holding it, you've probably lost like at least seventy mm-hmm. percent, you know. So I think it's uh it's buyer beware. And it's, it's up to you to kind of do your own due diligence on everything. But yeah, I do. I do definitely agree that. I mean, at the end of the day, do I ever think I'm going to need a money manager? Yeah, I, I, I hope so. When I'm on y'all's level, right? If I if I'm making much money that y'all got, I'm definitely going to need a money manager. But again, that's just me personally. Like I, I, I don't think I need one yet. When can I go out and get one right now? Absolutely. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm doing myself for now. And then when I start making big bucks, then 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 we'll. You make a big bucks. <laughs> You make a big buck? Anyway. <laughs> you know, I want to step back and say something. I have a cousin who, uh, Derek, who was in the uh, Air Force for quite a while. And he emerged with a sense. Of, we grew up in a small town. Mm-hmm. We were like brothers. He emerged with a sense of self from an environment that isn't always kind to black folks. Mm-hmm. And you have done the same coming out of there. So one is a hats off. And there's something you've been able to figure out about yourself within that environment that has propelled you to be who you are today. And it's, it's wonderful to see. And my cousin went through the same thing because that, that can spin people in another direction mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. We've seen those stories. Definitely. I've had other folks that I grew up with and it didn't turn out that way. So it's kind of a hats off um, from that perspective. Let's um, we got 15 minutes. I'm going to shift a little bit. We've hit some really high level stuff. Yeah. If you're cool with this. We talked a little bit about this. Houston is underrated on the music scene. All right. It is, man. All right. It is. On up. It is. It is. I'm a rap fan. I like my rap music. You didn't hear my two short plan when I rolled up? Exactly, right? (laughs) We'll put your behind on the spot, man, in front of everybody. Give me the three best rappers or rap groups. Out of Houston? Coming out of Houston. Out of Houston. Any era you want to talk about. Man, okay. You can, you can think about it a little bit. Remember the uh, well, you no, say no. Katie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, okay. so, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. You know what's hilarious is that, um, so Slim Thug actually, mm-hmm. so he had a house that was actually in Cyprus. And it was so crazy because one day I'm, we got to meet him, right? And, and I'm telling you that I saw this picture to this day. But so I say this just because, um, yeah, still, still in Cyprus. You're right. But at the same time, at the same time, um, you still can you, you you still owe it to yourself to kind of dive into from there a culture standpoint, right? There you go. Uh, man, okay. The three see it's hard, man, because I look back now and listen to some of the stuff and it's trash. I do. Like for example, because I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I, I honestly I gotta go Lil at the flip. time. At the okay, so so little flip, <laughs> little flip. Okay, no, not, not no, like little, little flip, not, not little flip was honestly one of the, one of the, <laughs> the best rappers <laughs> from like it was like two thousand two to two thousand six. All right, so come on, put some respect to Lil yeah, Flip's yeah, name. Absolutely. No, um, but when it comes Not down to so, black men just like <laughs> leprechauns on their album covers, you know, yes. <laughs> but man, from from All Mike in Houston, hey, from from Mike Jones uh, to mm-hmm. obviously Slim Thug, Paul Wall, Lil Kiki, um, gosh, I mean, you you uh, missing the Godfather, man? Yo, we talking, we talked about this. Um, uh, God, was no Scarface? There you go. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, man, I think, God, like, I, I grew up, I grew up on, yes, Mike Jones, Slim Thug, Paul yeah, Wall, absolutely. Chameleon Air. Um, weren't trying to be a West Coast, weren't trying to be. I mean, so like my uncle, East Coast. So, my, my, yeah. so obviously like um, my uncle, he came from Nigeria, I want to say in the mid 80s. And like, he put me on huge on with Biggie. So, so like I was always a Biggie fan. Yeah. But I, the older I got, I was like, okay, well, you know, where is the, the where are, are the Houston rappers? Or where's the Texas yeah. rappers in general? So, so yeah, over time, like, like you know, because I was, well, I was in high school and everything, when when the real Houston music scene started booming again, um, again for, for the first Did time. You get a grill? Oh, see, if I got a grill, my parents would slap it out of my mouth <laughs> so fast. You don't understand. So if I, they could get it out of your mouth. That's <laughs> what I didn't know oh, man. until about three story. weeks ago. Is that uh, those right. things are permanent? Oh yeah, it's like it's like I'm a mouth tell you, I won't it's, tell yeah. you that story, <laughs> DJ. Oh yeah, no. DJ, if you get the wrong DJ one, done. Originated that story. I'll tell you that one time, uh, sometime I'm, I'm over. Not the oh yeah. Originator. If you can but get the wrong, if you get the wrong story. one, if you go to, to the wrong spot, right? Yeah, they'll have you'll have your mouth messed up. But um, I will say that no, I didn't have a grill. I always wanted one, 
but I was too afraid to get my butt whooped <laughs> if I ever did. I'm telling you. So, and what I meant was when I said not trying to be, I didn't mean you. I meant that that rap culture wasn't trying to emulate oh, anything else, right? It Absolutely. was its own thing, man. And it was, I remember the first time I heard the Ghetto Boys and they were just talking crazy. I'm I seeing know. Bushwick Bill running yeah. around, <laughs> eye blown up. I'm like, man, what is this? But it's, it's hard. I mean, I remember it was um, like Sunday nights. I forgot what radio station it was, but it, w- it was Chopped and Screwed Sundays. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, like, and even you, I mean, you can still hear it today in some some music. I know Drake, Drake samples it from now and then, but um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Chopped and Screwed, that became its own yeah. genre from from, uh, from from DJ Michael Watts, right? So it's um it's one of those things that like it's it has its own culture, and that's kind of even the city too. It's just like. It doesn't try to be Dallas. It doesn't try to be anything else like from Texas wise, even any of the major other cities. It's just Houston. Yeah, I was going to say that because, I mean, even from the, you know, that rap scene, I mean, Houston is its own deal. It is. And every time I've been to Houston to spend time there, anywhere I've I've been, you, you get that sense that this is like super unique. They're not, to your point, not trying to be like anyone Mm -hmm. else. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting and, you know, I've never walked away from, you know, spending time there going, that was weird. You know, I was going like, you know, Houston's different. Yes. Houston. Yeah. It's different. But that was cool. And you know what? I, for, I, I, I This is almost sacrilegious now. But uh, Travis Scott. Travis Scott is also, he's, yeah. he's from no, Houston. Absolutely yeah. right. But he's almost, and he, he does his, his own thing his own way, too. He you know? absolutely So does. he embodies it to, to like the, to the T, sincerely. No, he, ab- he absolutely does. Real cool. Yeah. So, so Phil... Um, <clears throat> You know, you're 31. Yes. Um, unlike these two old heads here, <laughs> you got a lot of runway. In yes, terms sir. Of what life has to offer and what you can contribute and what you want your life to be. Um, what's next for you? Like, what what are you headed towards? What are you, Man. What are you reaching for? I'd love to hear yeah. you know, some of your aspirations. And, and obviously, we'll, we'll mark time and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll watch you get there along the way. Yeah, man. I don't, that's a good question. It really is because... Um, so yeah, I, I chose to leave my my last job at the end of December, and it's a great company. It's Navigate Research, based on now it's just Navigate, based out of Chicago, but they have a small office here, and it's a sports and entertainment marketing firm. So um, again, I always want to work in sports, and this last job gave me the opportunity to kind of lead business development, um, and and really just cultivate a great network in the sports industry. So it was one of those things where when I left in December, it, I just felt like it was the right time to go. Um, man, call it you know. A COVID brain or just, just just a new beginning, right? So I've been taking the last couple of months really trying to figure out what that next step is. Mm-hmm. And and um, I'm, I'm so super passionate about being in the sports industry mm-hmm. when it comes to the business side or even just like using my platform to help others, right? In my experiences in general. So uh, in, in a perfect world, I don't know what right looks like when it comes down to the next three, five, 10 years, but I do know it's definitely centered around people. It's definitely centered around, you know, using my experiences, my knowledge, my my lessons learned the hard way to influence those who don't necessarily have the same POV that I do or did. Um, it's definitely involved around bettering the lives of others in some aspect. Uh, my wife, she's a, a mental health therapist, so um, I, it's it's involved around, it, I hopefully involve it around an overall health for, for people, especially black and brown people, because the end of the day, you know, we, our community does not look on mental health in, in, in a very positive way or right. a very encouraging right. way. Right? right. We go to, we, 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 we go to the church or we go to the barbershop. We, we talk to people in general, but just, we, we don't share a lot of things that we need to share, right. To really work on some of those deep things. So in a perfect world, I'd love to, to do something like that, where you advocate and you help people get the resources that they need too, you know? Um, but ultimately, man, yeah, I just, I, I really see this, the rest of this year, really trying to find the right thing and, and maybe even trying to find the right company. Um, if it is, you know, going back into the corporate world, trying to find the right company who embodies those things as well. You know, I've, I've had conversations with you, DJ, around not the, like the Nikes of the world and some of the mm-hmm. other um, uh, apparel heavy hitters in general. Mm-hmm. And I see that because, again, like, again, most of their investment, I wouldn't say investments, but most of their business centers around black and brown athletes, mm-hmm. right? And black and brown consumers. So it's like, okay, you know what? Maybe that's a great avenue to go down as far as how I can also, you know, find a niche in there where I can get in there and also help. Or, or help help advocate for something, help help get a message out, or help people in general. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, long-winded answer to a short question, but yeah, I, I'm excited for the future. I think this is again kind of going back to what we talked about with Afghanistan. It was, it was. I I feel I feel fortunate enough to have the foresight of, of where I want to go. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I definitely have the confidence in myself to just keep going every single day. And just and just trying to one be the better version of myself, but at the same time, you know, try to help others along the way too. You know, it's always Im- impressed me uh, from the moment that the two of us met is that um, you embrace the opportunity to spend time with an old guy like myself and, and DJ, uh, and, and and partly, obviously, I think it's a, a genuine you know connection because you know we share so many things in mm-hmm. common uh, as black men, but also I think because. You know, you see it as an opportunity uh, for you to, to learn, right? Absolutely. To, to grow and have, you know, people in your life who can, you know, support what you're doing and, and be a mentor of sorts. Um, not that we know everything, but obviously we've <laughs> had experiences in life that we certainly can share um, and, and, and lean on. Right. Um, so I really, um, one of the things I really appreciate about you is your, your willingness and, and sincere interest to just kind of get to know us in that way. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, thank uh, you for that. I, well, I appreciate y'all. I really do. Cause you know, again, one of my favorite bosses always said, you know, no one's going to care about your career more than you will. Mm-hmm. And to me, like I, it's, it's closed mouths don't get fed. Right. So if you are advocating for yourself and communicating your intentions, but at the same time, also like, you know, shut your mouth and also listen. Right. Like, cause you listen, God gave us two, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right. So I'm always loving to, to hear other people's stories and other people's just like, again, lessons learned. Like I've learned so much from other people's mistakes mm-hmm. and even my own. Right. But still, I, so it's, it's just like, why not? Why, why not try to learn from great people who set great examples and go from there like yourselves or, or just like other other people who I've had the pleasure of connecting with these last couple of months? You know, from from Cliff to Anthony to um, some other people just in the sports world in general, it's like, why not reach out to people? Because, yeah. I mean, I love to to talk to young students and, and try to be that big brother and mentor to them, too. So just got to pay it forward. Yeah. One of the things and we're you know close to the end here, but, you know, I think you have a unique opportunity to do all of that, you know, learn from Charles, myself and all these other folks. But, you know, we also learn from you as we have these conversations. Absolutely. The other thing about it is you strike me as somebody who's doing this with the purpose of building your own intellect. And I would encourage you to consider things like a doctorate, mm-hmm. consider things like law school, et cetera. And it's just an elevated platform for you. And I know you have considered law school because I read about you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's an elevated platform to create intellect that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And you strike me as someone who can be a content creator for other folks who come behind you. Right. And I'm sure you're probably thinking about that. Mm-hmm. But as you get into these worlds of, you know, even advanced degrees and intellect, and I know your parents would be proud. I'm about to say, <laughs> so, if you can throw a Nigerian accent on this right now, yeah. I'm definitely I'm not going to try that. <laughs> Cultural appropriation is not my bag, man. So, but um, I really encourage that, man. And, and you know, we can do both. We can be great practitioners and continue to build um, an educational war chest. So, um you know, I know you thought about that. I will continue to encourage it. It just, again, continues to set you apart mm-hmm. from, from other folks. And you strike me as that's your thing anyway. So um, we got probably two to three minutes. Anything you want to ask us before we get out here? Oh, man. Uh, you don't have to, but. Nah, man. I mean, I feel like I, I've, I've picked y'all's brains clean okay. at this point. But okay. no, nah, I mean, honestly, I think, uh, you know, the main goal behind this, and, and again, like we talked about, just getting, getting, uh, great stories out to the world in general and creating more content, I guess. What, what's next after this, you think, for y'all? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm, that's a, I'm you hungry. Know, I'm going to give me something to eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean... <laughs> you talking about... <laughs> so I like in general, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I thought... Oh. You know, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the thing that's... Um, part of what will drive this, you know, if I can get DJ off the golf course every day... <laughs> Um, oh, Lord, you know, I don't know. How, I don't know how much time he has to to really take this anywhere. But no, I, you know, it's it's a good question. I think for us, it's about just wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we just want to continue to have rich dialogue and conversation with people that we find really interesting and want to learn more about. Um, and then, 
share that with others and see if we can uh, create something that you know, people enjoy. For me, man, it's what you said. I, I want to build around people um, really specifically who look like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to benefit from the work that we do. If others do, I think that's wonderful also. And I want to continue to work with people who look like me mm-hmm. and build that way because I think there's intellect that's really unique when you've done the things that Charles has done, the things you're doing, I'm doing. And the collective of that, sometimes we fall short of trying to establish what that is. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in making sure before I leave this earth, I'm deliberate around trying to make that happen. And having that come back into our communities, et cetera, in a way that's really productive and inspirational. So for me, I'm hoping that's what this does. And I think Charles and I continue to have those conversations about what that can look like, mm. modules, et cetera. So, you know, we're being deliberate around trying to build that. So for me, man, that's what's you reach a certain point, And, you know, I'm not saying I never want to make another dollar, <laughs> but other things become really important also. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm on right now. Yeah, it's Love not it. the driving force. For yeah. 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 Because it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, man, hey, look, this is, I know this was pretty impromptu, right? <laughs> I love we it. We gave man. you a heads up yesterday, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. You had a lot of time to prepare. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, man. We, I you know, we got to connect offline and yeah. um, continue to talk about some of these opportunities for you personally and as a collective. But it's been a pleasure, man. Likewise. I appreciate it, y'all. Yeah. Thank so, you for joining us on the Conscious Vibe. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com.